Hello and welcome to the Recon Ride, the race preview show from the Velo News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And we're back in action for, uh, well, let's just say it, man. It's the best bike race of the season, right? If you don't agree, honestly, I'm just going to edit it out anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, best bike race of the season, uh, right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I think there's kind of a progression when you get into cycling where you start off really excited about the Tour de France and then you kind of find out about Roubaix and you're like, oh, that's really cool. And then after a couple of years, you kind of drift towards Flanders because you see the the race has actual community support. Like they're everybody you, – you see French people picnicking alongside the Tour de France and random dudes getting drunk in the mountains. But I feel like at Flanders, you get a lot of just kind of general knowledge about the race. You see, you see these crazy caricatures of people painted on the side of the road. You can – basically have a conversation about it, I am told, since I've never been there. Anywhere you go, it's it's sort of like when I lived in Boston and you would gather Red Sox knowledge almost by osmosis. I feel like Tour of Flanders is that for Flanders. Yeah, it's really true. You can be anywhere and you're not going to be in Flanders and you're not far away from the nearest bike racing poster or sponsor. That's another big one. I mean, there's the sponsors are everywhere. Um yeah, it's 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 in their blood here, and it's in the air here. And this time of year, uh, it's I mean, on the one hand, weather-wise, it's kind of the worst time of year to be here. But on the other hand, it's the best time of year to be here, just because of, <laughs> of how exciting it is and how much everybody is into it uh, this time of year. And you really feel it being on the ground. Uh, I'm currently actually on the ground. Uh, well, not on the ground. I'm, I'm on a couch, but I'm I'm proverbially on the ground in the Airbnb in Ghent, uh, which is not too, too far away from the Tour of Flanders start or finish. It's kind of centrally located, uh, but it's a great place to get that experience, get the, the Flanders experience during the, the Flemish Holy Week. Um, bike racing here in Flanders during this past week and a half has been nasty. It's been, the weather's been bad. Uh, the, the racing though has been awesome. And I mean, that's kind of like that. Every year there's bad weather. The racing is just better. Uh, and the, the crazy thing about these races, which you will not get going to other places, uh, that are hosting bike races is the people come out anyway. Uh, yeah, they might come out for the Tour de France, but you know, if you go to a kind of second or third tier race, uh, in the U.S. for sure, but, uh, even, even in some parts of Europe and it's pouring down rain, you're, you're not going to see that many people out. Uh, watching the bike race. Nobody wants to stand in the rain and watch the bike race. In Flanders, they're coming out. They're coming out for Dwarfsdorf Landren, which is, I mean, that's sort of the fourth or fifth, you know, most important of these one day classics right about now. And they're still coming out. Uh, and it's 40 degrees and rainy and windy. And the fans are still lining the road. They, they want to watch these races. So they're excited. The riders get excited. And, uh, well, people like me get excited pre- pretty much because, uh, we're surrounded by this. It's, it's pretty great. Um, and, and yeah, you see the the uh, the sponsors like that. You that you definitely feel that community support because you're driving on the highway, getting from point A to point B. You're passing buildings that say the the names of the sponsors on these teams that you honestly, if you're living in the states, you might not know what they do. Half the time, I don't really know what these sponsors do. But when you're driving through Belgium, you see their buildings. I mean, th- these are companies that that uh, support this economy, and they're supporting the bike racing. And you see them everywhere. Uh, there's a there's a vast good service just up the street. Accent, Wanti, Omega Pharma, uh, Bulls. We saw a Bulls sign the other day. Lotto, obviously. Proximus, which is the this the uh, telecom company, sponsors a ton of bike racing here. It's it's everywhere, and uh, that makes it. Uh, 
that makes it awesome. That makes it really great to watch. Uh, it's, it's in the air. It's in the beer. I mean, Quermont, you can get anywhere. Quermont also happens to be the, uh, the climb where many people expect this particular race to blow up. You know, uh, can you, can you uh, drink a Mount Diablo? Troy, California, <laughs> a great race, but, uh, you can drink a Quermont and then you can go stand on the Quermont. That's pretty nice. I gotta say. Yeah, I can, I can see the people at, at Lagunitas or Stone firing up their Mont Diablo IPA as we speak. This is there. a good idea, actually. Maybe, maybe, uh, this will spawn something, uh, uh, revolutionary here. Just saying. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it also tends to be a race where the, the racing lives up to the hype. A lot of the stuff, the event seldom ever disappoints. It's not like Milan San Remo where it's really, you know, you have to kind of understand that there's this choreography. This race can unfold in any number of ways. Last year's event was a great example of that. We had a, a guy, Philippe Gilbert, who is a great rider, don't get me wrong, but he's clearly riding in a, a support or a, a lieutenant role. He went up the road uh, 55K from the end of the race, which is very long, not unheard of to win, but really uh, at the time, a very tactical move, kind of rode with the break, uh, a, group, a group of people very savvily, and then distanced them. And the group behind really was kind of held in check by this because he was he's on that strong quick step team. There were a lot of people kind of in the group that needed to be worried about. Uh, by the time uh, Greg Van Avermet and Peter Sagan finally realized that, you know, he's way up the road and there's not a lot of race left, they tried to go after him. They ended up getting caught on a spectator's sweatshirt, it looked like. Uh, crashed, really ruined any chance of bringing Gilbert back. And I mean, that's not a storyline that you can apply to pretty much any previous edition of this race. In fact, Quickstep has tried this before. The last time Quickstep tried this strategy of sending someone up the road, they ended up with Nikki Terpstra and unfortunately also Alexander Kristoff, who is much better at sprinting than Nikki Terpstra is. And it, it kind of blew up in their face a little bit because they didn't want to chase their own guy down, but they knew also that they weren't going to win the race if that break stayed away. It's one of those rare things in cycling where you get a marquee event that almost always delivers a marquee bike race. Yeah, you, you, uh, definitely hit the nail on the head with last year's race being, uh, living up to the hype because this is a race that, uh, the marquee climb, the Mervon Gerardsbergen for many years was moved and, uh, was put, uh, on the parkour. Well, it was taken out of the race for a couple of years, but then it was put uh, on the parkour at a spot where, you know, it's pretty hard for a climb to influence a race, <laughs> uh, if it's not in the final 30K. And this, this climb is well, well beyond that, uh, far away from the finish. And yeah, it's yet, for photographers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice spot in the race for for graphics and to talk about the history. But not, there's no way this is going to influence yep. things. Well, lo and behold, last year Philippe Gilbert's group initially gets away on that climb, and that's that's the climb that kind of spurs what ends up being the move that Philippe Gilbert attacks out of to win the race. It's uh, it's perfect. It's a race that lives up to the hype, which is why I'm I'm, I'm more comfortable hyping it. I mean, I, I hedge my bets sometimes in the podcast. I'll say it. Uh, you know, we, we will hype a race and then I'll say, yeah, there are times sometimes where it's not exciting just to be, uh, just to be safe. I'm not going to hedge my bets, man. Tor Flanders, it delivers. There's no need to hedge your bets with this race. It's a good one. Every year it's a good one. And, uh, hopefully this year lives up to it. Uh, we have plenty of, uh, plenty of big name contenders. One thing I'm pretty excited about with this year's race, none of them are, uh, coming in as the, the odds on kind of favorite. Not that there's not a, a couple of top favorites, but nobody is like, uh, well, nobody's like Chris Froome at the last couple tours to France, for instance. I mean, there's, there's nobody who's sitting at like one to, one to two at the odds. It's a bunch of guys who are there up there, but uh, <laughs> any, anybody could win. And, and that's just, uh, you know, another thing to, to be excited about. So 
we've hinted at the start list and we've talked a little bit about the root. Let's, let's go into both of those things in detail, starting with the root. We'll kind of dive into what exactly this year's Tour Flanders looks like in terms of the parkour. And then after that, We'll chat about uh, who some of these contenders are, and we're going to hear from one of them as well. Uh, Sepp Van Marka, favorite of the podcast. He's been on here multiple times in the past, always has good things to say. This year's no exception. I had a nice chat with him yesterday, uh, just after Dwarfsdorf Landerin, and uh, we're going to hear from him as well, so that's not just me and Cosmo, uh, you know, rambling on, uh, which I'm doing right now. So let's get to the Root Overview. The 2018 Tour of Flanders runs 266 kilometers in total. The race is going to kick off in Antwerp, which is a change. Uh, the race has kind of bounced around where it has started. Uh, it was in Bruges for a little while. Now it's in Antwerp. Uh, and then it is heading down southwest to what are called the Flemish Ardennes, uh, which is kind of a play on the real Ardennes in uh in Wallonia, and they're not as uh, steep or big as the real Ardennes, but they are lumpy climbs, and they go over a number of them multiple times. Uh, they head southwest from Antwerp to this area. Uh, the race finishes in Audenarde, which is a little town uh, that is uh, it's kind of a farmer town, but this time of year it just it lights up for uh, for this this big bike race. In between start and finish, there are 18 climbs, a number of them cobbled. Uh, some of them especially challenging because they're cobbled and steep. Uh, the Oda Quermont is the one that kicks off the climbing. And it is also, uh, one that you will see again twice, uh, with its, with its compadre, the Paderberg, the, the Oda Quermont Paderberg double is really the, I don't know. At this point, it's kind of become the main jumping off point usually for the winning attack in this bike race. Um, they are still going to go up the Murr. The classic Mur van Gerardsbergen, uh, but as as with last year, it's it's a ways out. It's a, it's 100k from the finish, uh, so it's going to be great for photos. I guess I can't say it's not possible that somebody can attack there because we saw that. You might sound like an idiot if you say that, uh, so I can't say that. But uh, I do think it's probably not going to happen. Um, after the the Mur, there's uh, quite a few k's of not so hard terrain and then they get into uh, a pretty quick succession of those of those climbs uh with the Oda Quermont Paderberg double coming twice you get it once then you get the Koppenberg you get the Steenbeek Dries the Tienberg which is a favorite of old Tom Bonin the Kreuzberg and then one last uh Quermont Paderberg double before the finale uh which is actually kind of flat so there is a flat run into the line you got to stay clear on if you're one of those attackers you're going to get clear hopefully on the Oda Quermont or the Paderberg but then you got to hold out all the way to the line it's not easy and this race is notable really for its climbs and I think it's actually a pretty I don't know if they were thinking about it the time they laid out these courses for the first time but these hills are great tourist advertisements for cyclists around the world because you know these are just little crummy roads that nobody drives on because they're too narrow and too bumpy and you can go and get a bike and ride them yourself, and they're horrible. Like uh, the the Oda Quermont is is sort of half cobbled, half paved. Uh, it, there is there was a, a video that went around the internet a few years ago of a road service team trying to pave it and fill in some spots, and an old man coming out with some sort of metal instrument and chopping up what they had just laid down to keep it rough and rugged. Uh, the Koppenberg is really the. the 
I think for riders, the Koppenberg is sort of the iconic climb and that it's so hilariously steep that if you lose momentum or you start to lose momentum at all, you're basically going to have to walk. You'll see this happen with the pros all the time. The, the field will kind of come into it at speed and then you'll get this contraction and the guys at the back of the field will lose will lose speed and will basically have to get off their bikes and run to the top of the hill and then remount and chase. Uh, the Paderberg, uh, as you mentioned, kind of with the Ode Quermont is, is, is the real tactical deciding climb of this race. This kind of, that kind of double feature. Uh, it's quite steep, but it's in relatively good condition as far as cobbled climbs go. Uh, I got to give a shout out to the Tienberg just because, uh, it is, it was so famously used by Tom Bonin as a, as an attacking point throughout his career that it's been called the Boonenberg, something that the NBC commentators completely ripped off for cross country skiing this year in South Korea by calling the final hill of the race course there the Klabo Bakken, which translates to Kleiboberg, uh, Klaibo Hill in, uh, in English. And, uh, of course, the Mervon Garrett's bargain. It's, it's beautiful, kind of sweeping, Got a little dog leg to it. Climb the cobbles are rough, but still look very pretty. Uh, it, it snakes around a hill, so you have this big grassy field for people to watch from and take pictures from. And as you come around the corner, you kind of open up to the top of the hill, and there's this beautiful Gothic style chapel. Uh, there's it's it's really. I mean, if you've seen a picture of people racing bikes in Belgium, you've almost certainly seen this. It's iconic to the point that there is. A gigantic poster of it from I think 2011 uh, on the Velo News offices. If uh, I'm not correct, yeah, it's on it's on the wall right when you come in. It's, it's kind of it's kind of cool actually. Got to say, uh, and and hopefully it will play another uh, another role in this year's race. Like I said, it's a little far from the finish, but it's uh, it's the most iconic climb I think in Flanders. Uh, so if there's any if there's any climb in this race that uh, that a rider who Especially a Flemish rider who, who, you know, kind of wants to show himself is going to attack on. It's got to, it's going to be this one just because the photos are great. And, uh, it's, it's the kind of climb where even if, even if you don't get away, just being able to say, yeah, man, I attacked, I attacked on the, uh, Mervon Gerritsberg one time. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, that's definitely a career, a career kind of highlight for anybody, I think. So the, the Otokramont Paderberg double, I think most likely to close out, uh, the race with, with a possible attack. There is that possibility though that, uh, things kind of come together in that flat finale. So there's a chance, uh, that, that Aldenarda sees a, a small sprint, I think, uh, which as always could lead to this, you know, the always exciting, is it going to be a small sprint or a, uh, or an attacker conversation, which, you know, that was, that was the best part about Milano San Remo this year. It's been the best part of, uh, classics kind of forever. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to get that hopefully uh, again this year. We shall see. It's going to come down to the riders themselves. Let's talk about those riders. Let's talk about who we think is going to be up there fighting for the Tour of Flanders this year. The contenders conversation, you know, in the last couple of years, there have been uh, there have been obvious talking points to kick off these conversations. We had uh, Conchalara's last year at the Tour of Flanders. We had Tom Bonin's last year at the Tour of Flanders. This year, we don't have any last hurrahs. Nobody's saying goodbye to the Tour of Flanders. Uh, you know, good to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to see a Tour of Flanders <laughs> where we get to talk about the the big racers, the guys who are here. Uh, 
to, to actually contend the guys who are here as, as the top favorites. And, uh, honestly, this year there's, there's really no, um, you know, there's no, uh, overwhelming favorite headed in. Oh, but that makes it so much more complicated to talk about. That's true. Can't we just have one guy versus another guy? That's a good point. We do have like, to do with a preview, which, you know, it's tough. Subtitle yeah. it The Reckoning or something. Ooh, yeah, like, that would be pretty sweet. The Reckoning. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, it's uh, You have a lot of – despite the lack of an overall favorite, you have a lot of guys who are very strong. Uh, Peter Sagan really – like I said last week, I think we are at peak Sagan right now. He is going to be a contender in every event where he starts that doesn't end on an HC finish. And you think I'm joking when I say that, but he, you know, was completely in the mix on a long, long finish climb uh, tour of California a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, he's he's got to be the favorite here. It is the only monument he has won. He has a little bit of trouble because his team is a little bit shallower uh, than other squads. But the, he, he's he's got some stronger he's got some stronger helpers now in Daniel Oss and uh, in Marcus Berghardt, who's maybe at one point was a contender here, but not so much anymore. Still a very strong lieutenant. Uh, you have uh, Greg Van Avermet, who really. The focus was really on him in last year's race to kind of motivate the group and get to the finish. And he did, to his credit, kind of make that last surge to try and bring Gilbert back, but also got tangled up in uh, somebody's sweatshirt. And of course, the reason why he took so long is that basically every rider on Quick Step right now seems like they can win this thing. Yeah, I've having been here on the ground, it's it's really really apparent that Quick Step is firing on all cylinders this year. We we go into this year and everybody wants to know well, what's Quick Step going to do without uh, without Bonin. I mean, he's he's this big personality and and uh, he's a guy who has dominated the classics uh, again, at least as a personality for years. Not there anymore. You know what's Quick Step going to do? Well, I think they've answered that loud and clear. Nikki Terpstra won a monument when Terp, when when Bonin was still on the team. Gilbert won last year in uh, Bonin's swan song. Yves Lampard just won a huge race the other day at Dwarves. Nikki Terpstra won at E3. This team is they're they're really really strong, and and their their biggest strength I think is that they have they have a man for every scenario, and, and in, in many cases two. Um, you know Lampard and. Uh, uh, Gilbert both have decent finishes. I mean, not that they're going to be they're going to win a big sprint, but both those guys is capable of winning a small sprint. Um, Stebar is the kind of guy who can get away on a, on a climb and stay clear. And Terpstra just has this huge engine. We saw that at E3 that uh, he and Lampard got away, and he just kept motoring on. And that the gap to him and a very strong chase group didn't really come down in the in the finale. And there were guys behind him that. Uh, well, there was an Olympic gold medalist behind him. Uh, Greg Van Avermaet was trying to chase him down with teammates, and nobody could really close him down. He was just kind of by himself for the end of that race. Nobody could close Terpster down. So they just have all of these different options, and they really seem like they're able to use them to great effect this year. That's been a problem in the past, but the whole quick step bungling things with their tactics, that might be a thing of the past because they've been really, really strong so far. I will say, however, that uh, you know if you don't get it right in Flanders or Roubaix, People kind of seem to forget what you did at E3 and get Wevelgem. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, this is this is the final exam. You know, you can ace every every weekly quiz, and you come up to this, and it's you know seventy five percent of your final grade. Uh, but yeah, they've they really have seemed dialed. I think they have ten different riders with wins this season. Which I mean, some of these teams, if they get ten wins this year, they're going to be over the moon. And this is one squad, and it's not. I mean, it will be April by the time the race starts, but. Yeah, they're just killing it. Yeah, I think uh, I think the pressure's on, but at the same time, nobody else has quite shown that same ability, and so Quickstep probably has 
the the right to be confident headed into this race. Uh, although Peter Sagan did win at Gent Wellingham the other day, he did win, and he won ahead of uh, ahead of Quick Steps uh, sprint option Elia Viviani, who seemed like he might have been faster, but just really wasn't in a great place to start the sprint. Um, but yeah, like I said earlier, Sagan is just an animal. Very strong. Uh, the question mark historically has been his team, and he's got a much better group of guys behind him this time around. Uh, it's it's really. I like to think it's Sagan's race to lose, but I, with Quickstep being as strong as it is right now, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a question of which guy does Sagan go with, which move does he follow, which move does he ignore. Yeah, I think he's a fair. Uh, I think he's a fair top bookies favorite. He is the, the bookmakers, uh, you know, top guy in the favorites, just because there's no question of who leads that team. But uh, yeah, up against Quickstep and all of their options, I think that's going to be really tough for Sagan. Uh, I, I think also one thing that uh, I was talking with Andy Hood the other day for this podcast, and one thing we were kind of bringing up. After E3 and Gent Wevelgem was that, uh, you know, Sagan did win Gent Wevelgem, but he won in a sprint. And I don't know how much that tells us about his form for some of these climbs. Uh, E3, which is, I think, a much better, um, a much better tune up ride and a, and a much better, you know, practice run, trial run for the Tour of Flanders. He was not so much in contention at, at E3. And I think because of that, I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not as bullish on Sagan as I might have been in years past. Not that I don't think he's a worthy top bookies favorite, but I, I don't think you can go in and say, "Oh, he won Gent Wevelgem, therefore clearly he's going to win the Tour of Flanders." I think it's a pretty open race, which is hey, that's good for us. Although, yeah, we do have to spend more time, you know, practicing writing this preview and 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 also hedging our bets. So I, in that sense, it's tough. But uh, Sagan. Quick step, they look like the favorites, along with, uh, yeah, the, the guy that's been trying to win this race for years. Uh, fortunately for him last year, he did win Roubaix, so he got his monument. But Greg Van Avermaet still seeking his, his home monument at the Tour of Flanders. Yeah, and another guy like Sagan, tough to get a read on here. Uh, he's, he looked strong, uh, at Dwar's, but at the same time, like, he didn't bring, he and his team couldn't bring back that late escape. Uh, he's had some crashes, he's had some misfortune. He he really wasn't in it at at uh, he really wasn't in it at Milan San Remo. I it's 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 really tough to get a read on him. And like you said, you know this is the race he wants to win. He, he's one of maybe a handful of people in the world who'd be like, yeah, I won Roubaix, but you know I I really want to win Flanders. It's kind of funny. That, you're right that I don't think there's a whole lot of people on that list. But he kind of and he was excited about winning Roubaix, sure, but. It, it didn't take long for Van Avermaet to say, you know, I really want to win the Tour of Flanders, by the way. And he's got the team this year, I think, that many people didn't expect him to have. Because he lost Daniel Oss, we brought this up earlier. But I think Jurgen Rulins and uh, and uh, Stefan Kung have been riding very, very well. So I, I do like Greg Van Avermaet's chances with that team support this year, even though at the beginning of the year, that was a big question mark. Another Belgian who's been trying to win the Tour of Flanders for his whole career and has come very close in years past, just like Van Avermaet, Sepp Van Marke. He's been on this show in the past. He's talked about how much this race means to him in the past. I think he's looking pretty good this year. Uh, coming out of the last couple of cobbled races, he was a factor pretty much every time. Uh, as has often happened, things didn't work out in his favor, but at least headed into the Tour of Flanders, he's been looking good. Van Marke was third at Dwarsdorf Landerin, where uh, he was in the final escape 
and uh, he couldn't quite close down that move to Yves Lampard at the end there. He kind of fainted, and then uh, and then the Lampard was gone, basically. But he still finished strong, finished third. So he was an obvious guy to talk to after the finish. Here's Sepp Van Marke at Dwarsdorf Landeren. Well, after Dwarsdorf Landeren. Nibbling on a sandwich, by the way. A well-earned sandwich, because it was a nasty day at Dwarsdorf Landeren. Uh, nibbling on a sandwich while talking about the race and uh, maybe what it means for the coming Tour of Flanders. Today going to be a lot different from Flanders. Do you think Flanders is going to be a lot harder, or is it pretty similar level of racing? Um, it's, it's very different. It's still the same. I mean... It's a, it was a short race today, yeah. only 180k, but everybody went full gas. It was cold because of the rain. It made it feel a lot harder. Um, so we don't, we don't have the feeling that we only raced for, I think, uh, four hours. Yeah. It was just a hard race. And in the end, the guys that were in front today, they will be in front also uh, on Sunday. But there will be uh, many more guys. Yeah. You've been in a podium in a Flanders Classic dozens of times now do you still feel like you get kind of personal joy from finishing on, on the podium race like this even if you don't win yeah because uh, yeah, today I didn't feel great I had like the worst feeling of, of the whole classics period now but that's just partly after um, after after the weekend or maybe not totally recovered still uh, some pain in my back but I mean, that's all right. I did, uh, did some extra training uh, last Sunday after the Antwerp game, so I was, I was really emptying the tank. So maybe I wasn't fully recovered uh, from it yet, and that's why. Um, but um, I think in the, in the end, next week, everybody will be ready. I will be also recovered, and it will be, um, yeah... I don't know. It's it's 70 kilometers longer, but it will be different racing. Everybody will wait longer, and, and um, it's going to be totally different than, than now. Yeah. Does the racing feel more open to you this year? It just seems like there's not maybe one dominant favorite going in. Uh, does it seem that way in, in the peloton? Yeah, I think so. Um, maybe it will change a little bit next week with the Sagan. Uh, everybody always looks at him. Um, but still, yeah, you saw it last year that was open racing, and you have it this year, uh, yeah, even more. I mean, the period where um, Bonen was really uh, the best and everybody looked at him is gone. The period where uh, Cancellara was the best and everybody looked at him is gone. And now, like many guys are more or less on the same level, and that makes it uh, a lot more interesting, I think. Look, you heard him say it, man. Sepp van Marke went out for a ride after Gent Wevelgum. He finished Gent Wevelgum and he said, you know, I'm going to go out for a bike ride. I don't think there's a lot of people in the world who would do that. That's maybe the most Sepp van Marke thing I've ever heard. So, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to not root for Sepp van Marke ahead of uh, the Tour of Flanders. He's been doing this for so long and coming close. Definitely a contender, the kind of guy I think who is going to want to try to get away solo or at least with a very small group just because uh, Van Avermaet and uh, Sagan are, are probably capable of beating him in a sprint. Um, and there are a couple other guys, I think, who, you know, good escaping type riders who also have that, uh, that fast finishing kick. That's a good lead in for Sky's Mihawk Vietkowski, who, uh, we've seen win races in sprints surprisingly often over Peter Sagan. A very good, canny, smart guy in a smaller group sprint, which is the sort of sprint you're going to see at a race like Flanders. He also has a 
a, a really stacked team. I know we talked a lot about Quick Step, but you read down the list of, of of riders Sky is bringing to this event, and it's it's guys who have always performed really well in classics, either as helpers or lieutenants. You know, beasts like Mihal Golash, guys like Ian Stannard, who was very close in one of the worst races in terms of weather I've ever seen at uh, KBK in 2010. Uh, there's just yeah, really strong, really smart classics riders. You saw Sky have a lot of impact on the overall race at Milan San Remo. They didn't come away with a win, but at the same time, very strong race dictating kinds of efforts. Uh, I think that will pay off a lot better in an event like Flanders versus an event like San Remo. Yeah. Also, Tisba notes another guy. I think you got to keep an eye on. He has had a really strong last two years. Really emerged as a climbing talent on top of being just a classics guy, and that will come in very handy at the Tour of Flanders because there are some tough climbs in this race. And I think that's something that's often underestimated. These are not just cobblestones. And this is a very different race from Perry Roubaix. Some of the climbs, particularly towards the end of the race, are steep. Tisba note. By the way, happened to finish fourth at Torino Adriatico. So this is a guy who is comfortable on a climb uh, and, and definitely, I think, capable, coming off of a Strada Bianca victory earlier this year, of uh, you know pulling off that big first Flemish win at the Tour of Flanders on Sunday. Former winner Alexander Kristoff of UAE Emirates is also in the event. He sort of outperformed my expectations of him uh, at San Remo, finishing fourth. Uh, and you got to remember that is in that second group. It you know, it's. I don't like to to be like, oh well, I won the group. I think there are a lot of sprinters who, if they they know they're not in it for the win, they kind of lose a little bit off of their kick. Uh, but yeah, a guy a guy who is pretty strong, whose team supported him as well as could be expected. I don't think we'll see him going with Nikki Terpstra uh, and finishing in a two up sprint. But if the groups come back together, kind of in the last flatter kilometers of this event, he's definitely a dangerous rider, uh, and he would be really hard to get rid of after that final ascent of the Paderberg. Yeah, talking about Alexander Kristoff kind of makes me think of John Degenkolb, who uh, won Paris-Roubaix the year that Kristoff won Flanders. Uh, the, both of those riders are guys who are great sprinters, capable of holding on uh, on a tougher day. I mean, they, they kind of win in similar ways when they win, uh, both San Remo winners for that matter. And both of them have had struggles, I think it's, it's fair to say, in the last uh, season and a half or, or two seasons in the classics. Uh, Trek with uh, Jasper Stuyven. And Mads Peterson, who was great at Dwar's, um, and uh, even Konda Kort's been doing really well so far. So they have a strong team around Dagen Kolb, uh, and that will help, I think, keep him in position. But it will also mean that they might have options if Dagen Kolb is, is not feeling at his best. And I, I will say that Trek has looked very strong as a team so far this classic season. The uh, the wins haven't been there, but Stoyven's a great you know, gritty classics guy who does have a nice kick. Uh, and, and I think he's a guy who, who definitely is capable of getting into a big move. And, uh, and also I think he's capable of winning the race. I think if he's in the right move, it's possible that he can use his finishing speed to pull off, pull off a big win, even if he's up against some guys who are, uh, who are going to be bigger names. Uh, I think some of the other guys you have to be watching this weekend, I, that list got to start with uh, Vincenzo Nibali, who's, by the way, racing the Tour of Flanders. Uh, the, the guy, uh, the guy's coming off a Milano San Remo win. And, you know, this year, why not? Let's race the Tour of Flanders, Vincenzo Nibali said. And it's not going to be the kind of race where he's going to come out and dominate, I wouldn't think. I mean, he didn't come out and dominate San Remo. He's still won. Pretty, yeah, it's true. He's a pretty talented rider, though. He's got, uh, he's got a pretty glittering Paul Mares. That team's also got Sonny Colbrelli, Heinrich Hausler. So Bahrain Merida, maybe not a team you thought was going to be that strong this classic season, but certainly a team worth watching on, on Sunday because, 
if you're not watching Vincenzo Nibali, you haven't been watching bike racing. I mean, the guy's worth watching. If, if he wins Flanders, he's going to have to come back and race your bay too. Yeah, that's true. So, and, and I mean, he's, you know, he's not? not bad at riding the Cobble. Yeah, we saw, we saw him win Tour, yeah, Tour de France. Exactly. We've seen some of the so, other riders uh, up here reconning the Cobbles ahead of this year's Tour de France, which does have that cobbled stage. Uh, Alejandro Valverde, Doris Dorf Flandern on Wednesday, didn't just recon them. He kind of was in the mix as well. Yeah, uh, he smashed it. Did I'm anybody expect different? I mean, come on, this is how he is. But yeah, he was actually thinking about racing the Tour of Flanders. Unfortunately, it's not going to be this year, maybe next year. But Nibali is here. Definitely got to watch, especially on these descents. Uh, just why not? I mean, who knows? Other guys, I think, that that deserve watching. Astana with like a really nice... Uh, Every, you know, one for all approach here because they could just have a number of riders who in and of themselves, you're probably not going to think of as, as top guys, but, uh, Magnus Court, very speedy. Michael Valgren already won a nice classic. Let's say Lushenko riding really well. Oscar Gatto, just a number of guys who are uh, capable in this kind of race. Sunweb, Mike Tunison at Dwarsdorf Lander. And this guy, I think it took a little while. It was a big prospect in cross and won the U23 world championships. They had some guy called, uh, uh, Wout Van Ert, I think it was his name was, way back in 2013, left cross, focused on the road. It's taken some time, but Tunisian clearly in great shape and uh, great at riding in bad weather. Although, by the way, he did mention, I, I chatted with him after Tours, he kind of hates the bad weather. He said that one reason he left cross was because he doesn't really like the rain. Unfortunately, he's pretty good at the classics, so I think he's going to be riding in bad weather for the rest of his career. But he's pretty good at it, even if he doesn't like it. Cross is way... Cross is way more easy to deal with when the weather is bad. The road is. Yeah, like, I should have spent the first five hours freezing to death. Yeah, cross, you're just going hard the whole time. I feel like somebody should have brought this up. I should have brought this up to to Mike Tunison yesterday and said, "Hey, man, like you know, cross is only like an hour long, buddy. Like you're gonna be out there for six hours at Flanders, but eh, whatever. He did really well at Dwarves, so he's probably happy." So you sit in the, on the start line in Antwerp, being like, "Wait, it's, this is yeah, six this hour takes six hours. I didn't know that. I thought." What? How many times can we pit? I think uh, even as he learns what the classics are like, he's already definitely uh, showing he's he's got some ability. And he has a nice little finishing kick there, as does Edward Toon. So Sunweb is a team that's taken some time to uh, replace John Degenkolb. But I do think they have the pieces in place. I wrote a story about that the other day for Fellow News. You can check that out. And uh, yeah, it's a guy that uh, you got to watch. Uh, EG2R's Oliver Nassen is a guy who will be worth watching if he races. As of Thursday, when we are recording this, that remains a question mark. He crashed at Dwarsdorf Landerin. It was apparently a pretty tough crash, and it remains to be seen whether he'll be at the Tour of Flanders. So if he's there, he's a guy you want to watch. He was really strong at last year's Ronde van Vlaanderen, but this year it's just it's an unknown. So keep your eyes peeled for that news. Uh, Arno Damar, a guy who is possibly in the mix here if there's a sprint he's definitely a capable finisher Edvald Bosenhagen look good at Duars uh, Mitchelson Scotts Luke Durbridge Matteo Trentin Matt Heyman former Roubaix winner a bunch of different options kind of like Astana uh, pick a Wanty group uh, <laughs> WB Aqua Protect Sport Vlandern or Verandas Willems Rider and they're gonna end up in the breakaway Christophe Laporte from Kofidis and Brian Kokar I think from Vital concept, two guys who are fine names to close out our uh, our favorites conversation. Both of them have uh, very good finishing kicks if they can manage to be there. That that seems to be a fair rundown of the favorites convo. Cosmo, are you ready to do some predictions? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Wow, I, I love predictions. That's, that's a, my favorite part. Yeah, I really like that good mm. attitude, man. Um, Let's do it. You got you got to go. You got a top three. Yeah. yeah, go for it, man. No, I'm not pick Peter Sagan. Uh, you know, I like him to win. Uh, I'm going to go with 
your choice of Quick Step Rider in second. And let's go with Kwiatkowski in third. Uh, Sagan finally getting one over on his uh, Eastern European junior racing rival. Uh, yeah, Sagan's, Sagan's really strong. Um, I, I think the race is going to evolve around him uh, more than kind of people looking back and wondering what he's going to do. And I think that's going to play into his advantage. I think he's going to follow the right moves and then win the kick here. Uh, he's, you know, he's good. He's strong. He is at the peak of his career. And I don't think all the quick step riders in the world are going to change that uh, unless something happens to separate him from the front of the race. Are you, by saying your pick of quick step riders, does that mean that whoever I pick is your guy? Do I get to do I get to pick yes, him? Yeah. Yes, you get to pick. You get to. Pick. That's a lot of power. But man. it has to actually be it has to be starting the race. Oh man, that's that's a Sorry, total that's a totally different yeah. Uh, thing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with uh, Florian Seneschal for your uh, quick step floors podium. <laughs> he could do it, man. He's a talented young guy. No, I'm going to go with Nicky Terpstra to win the Tour of Flanders. Actually, so why doesn't he uh, slot in as your podium pick? He was really strong at E3. And I think the team has so many options that it's, yeah, it really is pick a quick step rider here. Uh, could be Gilbert, could be Lampard, could be Stibar. Uh, heck, it could be Seneschal for that matter. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with Terpstra because, uh, I think this team is too strong. I think Terpstra is looking good. And, uh, why not, man? He, he's, uh, he's really good at going from afar. And that's how I see this kind of coming down is a ter- a quick step rider getting away and Van Avermaet and Sagan kind of looking at each other as we've seen in years past. Uh, that, that to me seems to be a pretty likely outcome. However, I'm definitely putting Van Avermaet and Sagan up there on my podium. And, and if they win either one of those guys, it's not a surprise at all. Would love to see Van Avermaet finally get that win. He's been on the podcast. So come on. I mean, kind of have to, kind of have to like the guy. Uh, so I would love to see either one of those guys get the win. But yeah, I think quick step uh, looks too strong. So I have to put a quick step guy atop my podium. That's our top three, our, our respective top threes ahead of, yeah. Best bike race of the year, man. Pretty excited about it. We'll be out there. Uh, Velen is going to be out there on Sunday. Multiple people on the ground here to, to track all those stories. So, of course, stay tuned for that. We'll have plenty more from the Tour of Flanders and from Peru Bay, for that matter, uh, up on velonews.com, of course, in the magazine to come. And there are going to be more Velonews podcasts coming up. After the Tour of Flanders, there's going to there's gonna be a, a pre-Roubaix recon ride, of course. So lots to look forward to. But first, man, catch the Tour of Flanders on Sunday. Is, is there a better race to watch? I think not. There is not. Confirmed. If Alejandro Valverde uh, was considering riding this race, and Vincenzo Nibali is going to be there, I think I think the, the results are in. You know, survey says it's the best bike race of the year. Stay tuned for more from the Velo News podcast. Enjoy the bike racing on Sunday, and uh, we'll see you soon. This has been The Recon Ride, the race preview show from the Velo News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And that's our show. <laughs>